Hi! Welcome to another episode of An English Prof Reads the Bible. I'm your host, Megan, and today we're talking about Psalm 62. Before we get started, let me just say I'm sorry for not posting a new episode in a couple of weeks. We English profs uh, get summer break. I've been using mine to catch up with family, haven't had a chance to record. But today, we're getting back in the swing of things with a new look at this psalm, and I want to talk about what it says about ongoing oppression and difficulty in this life and our response to that and other people's response to our response. As usual, I'm going to start by reading the psalm. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. All right, so a couple of things that I want to point out about this psalm. It essentially exists in three different parts. The first establishes the ground rules or the assumptions on which this psalm works. And the second one is very descriptive. It talks about what's going on in order to prompt the psalm. And then in the third part, we have uh, the psalmist's response to it and is addressed to uh, himself and to other people and to God on the basis of what's happening. So let's start with, with establishing the ground rules, the, the psalmist's assumptions. And this is, surprise, surprise, in the very first verse. Um, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. That part right there. What I want to point out, uh, first of all, is, you know, remembering uh, that we're paying attention to the implications of the words. He only is my rock and my salvation. What the psalmist is not saying here is he's not asking for God's help. He doesn't say God's help or God's blessing is my rock and my salvation. It's God himself who is our rock and our salvation. He is the only one who fills our needs. It is not money. It is not health. It is not uh, family. These are all things that we'd like to put our trust in. They are all good things. They are all things that are supplied to us uh, by God, but those things are not essential. They are not our salvation. The other thing that I notice 
right off here is that the psalmist says that I shall not be greatly moved. And the word greatly stands out to me because it implies that maybe the psalmist will be a little bit moved, uh, that some movement will happen. And in a way, this doesn't really surprise me because it suggests to me that life is hard. Bad things are going to happen and we're going to be upset by them. But the upset, the movement is not catastrophic because we have this security in the person of God. The other thing that I find interesting, this is just kind of a side note here, is that the psalmist says, my soul silently waits for God. In other words, silently, without complaining, without seeking other help, without being uh, brash about it. You know, I think of when you go to the DMV, for instance, or when you get stuck in a long line somewhere, and there's always that one person there, hopefully not you or me, although I've been tempted, who throws a fit over the waiting time and insists on going up and talking to somebody else and trying to hurry the process along. And I think what the psalm is saying here is don't be like that guy at the DMV. Wait on God. Cool your heels. He'll make everything come out all right in the end. Once we get past uh, the first verse, we move past the ground rules into uh, the descriptive part, what's happening right now. And David addresses um, an unspecified group of people. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And then he refers to them again in verse 4. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, mouth but they curse inwardly. The they and the you here are unidentified. In a way, this doesn't really matter. There is a motif, which means a recurrence or a recurrent image in the Psalms of people who are lawless, who seek their own gain, and who seek others' destruction. And they're never really specified. David never really comes out and says, okay, Mr. Jones here, I'm talking about him. It's always this ambiguous they, uh, the general group of people who is willing to oppress and hurt others in order to boost their standing in the world. And so I think that's who we are referring to here. And then and then David also describes a little bit about what they're doing, um, consulting together to cast somebody else down, delighting in lies, blessing with their mouth, cursing inwardly. The imagery of uh, blessing with their mouth and cursing, uh, not as in swearing, but cursing another person, which is the opposite of blessing, the imagery of that is very striking because if they're blessing with their mouth, if they're going around telling other people, um, you're good, we're going to look after you, we're going to take you, may you be blessed and taken care of, then on the surface, what they're doing actually kind of looks like what God is doing in terms of God taking care of us and being our rock and our salvation and our refuge. But they're also cursing inwardly. They're working behind the scenes to destroy other people. And so it's really only on the outside uh, that they look like God. They are essentially the opposite of God. They appear to be helping, and they're actually undermining other people. 
to go along with that, it's noteworthy that they they're only consulting to cast this other person down because the psalmist is only focused on God. These people are only focused on destruction and their own self-enrichment. They are the flip side of God and the godly life. And I want to take a a kind of a side note here and suggest that this is the way of things in the broken world that we live in, that there will always be people who are working against the righteous people, against God's people. There There will always be people who are working against the poor and downtrodden and hurting. And so what David is is describing here is something that we should expect is going to happen. And then as a side note to a side note, I do think it's worth making sure that we're always kind of asking ourselves whether we fall into the camp of the people who are being hurt or sadly into the people who are doing the hurting. We human beings like to imagine ourselves in the right. And I think that if we read these Psalms incautiously, we can say, oh yeah, David is saying, everybody is out to get me. But we're part of this broken world. And so without realizing it, or sometimes with realizing it, we can very easily slip into the category of people who are doing the destroying as opposed to uh, the people who are who are actually suffering from it. All right, and so up to this point, we've had part one, which establishes the ground rule. God is our refuge, our strength. We find ourselves in him. We have part two, which suggests that it is the nature of humankind to work against other people's well-being, to destroy, to pull down, even though they put on a good show of helping. And then we have part three, which gives the psalmist's response to that. And in this third part, uh, the psalmist addresses three people, himself, other people, and then finally God. And in verses five through seven, which is where I'm going to start, he addresses himself. Uh, He tells himself, wait silently for God alone. My expectation is from him. He is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense. And God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is God. You should notice by now, if you've been listening to all the episodes of this podcast, that there's some repetition here. Uh, The psalmist is repeating almost word for word a lot of what he said at the very beginning of the psalm. You know, the part about waiting silently is repeated. The part about God only being his rock is repeated. And so what the psalmist is doing here is he's returning to known truths in times of hardship, and he is preaching these truths to himself. It's also worth noting that the psalmist has added a couple bits here. He's added the section about uh, my expectation is from God, which means that the psalmist is here in this place in my expectation. This is something future. This is something still to come. If I expect I am going to get a trip to Hawaii for my next birthday, that's still coming. It's in the future. It's my next birthday. There's no way I'm ever getting a trip to Hawaii for my birthday. Fun as that would be. Illustration only, guys. All right. And so what the speaker is referring to here is God is going to bless him and take care of him in the future. He's expecting that this will all work out through God in the end. 
It's also worth noting that the psalmist says, I shall not be moved. He's taken out the word greatly, and so it implies that uh, the speaker will not be moved at all, which is an interesting shift from the first part of the psalm. It suggests two possible things to me. One is that uh, the speaker is becoming increasingly less troubled by his physical, real-world concerns in view of God's truth. He is so caught up and so protected in the person of God that's it, that it is as though his troubles have stopped registering. And then the second possibility related to it is that the psalmist is taking the long view out into eternity, focusing on God's goodness to him and his presence with God far more than what's happening in this life for this short little moment. This is um, aspirational, I think. A lot of us, uh, me included, are not in a place where we can take this kind of a long view. Our troubles really do register, and it's worth thinking and praying for God to give us the grace to trust Him so fully. And the other thing that I, I want to point out here before we move on is that um, the speaker refers to God as my salvation and my glory. And salvation and glory are both added here. It implies that God has totally rescued uh, the speaker from trouble. It is uh, fully accomplished. And then glory implies uh, celebration and rejoicing. It is a beautiful thing when we find ourselves in God and are rescued from our trouble. All right, so that was the first person that the psalmist talked to himself. The second is other people. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And so at this point, the speaker has kind of talked himself into trusting God. Here he turns around and he tells other people to do it. Kind of um, you know, as though he's saying, hey, everybody, you've got to try this out. Trust in God. It's going to be good. And we actually do this all the time with, you know, real life things. You know, everybody, you've got to try this podcast. Hey, everybody, you've got to try this new restaurant. Hey, everybody, you have to try this new coffee, whatever. And so the this one thing is bringing the speaker joy, and that's going to spill over to other people and help other people as well. God's goodness to one person can inspire and gladden other people as well. And then the speaker goes on subsequently to give his reasoning for why he's giving this command to trust God. Um, I don't want to camp out on this too long, but I do want to make a couple of quick points. So we have the imagery of men being uh, a vapor, humankind being a, a vapor. This is a metaphor, of course. We're comparing one thing to another thing uh, without using the word like or as. And a vapor, I think of dew, which is gone by about yeah, 8 or 8.30 by the time I get back from my morning run. So what the psalmist is saying here is that humankind is gone very, very quickly. Uh, there's just nothing left of them. And it's important to notice that it's not just men of low degree, uh, poor people who are a vapor, but it's uh, men of high degree as well. The Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates of the world are also 
uh, a vapor. They're a lie. They look big and substantial and important, but in God's view of the world, they're not. And that leads the psalmist to verse 10, do not trust in oppression, where he cautions his readers against turning away from God. The word trust is important there because the psalmist has literally just told his readers to trust in God. And then he turns right around and he says, do not trust in oppression. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So he's urging his readers to remember that even the richest and most powerful people are going to fade. And so it makes no sense to turn your trust from the eternal God to the very short-lived riches of this world. It, it just makes no sense. And he reiterates again in verse 11 uh, that power belongs to God. Humankind looks powerful. They're not. Keep your trust in God. All right, and then finally, we have the third part here, where the speaker addresses himself to God. To you, O Lord, belongs mercy. You render to each according to his work. This is beautiful and reassuring and kind of contradictory on first glance. How in the world does God both grant mercy to people and also render to people according to their work, deliver, deliver justice to them? Are we combining mercy in a works-based salvation? I think not. What this part about rendering to each one according to his work means is that these people who have put their trust in riches, these people who have set out to oppress other people, who have consulted to cast other people down, they're going to get the natural outcome of their actions, which is that all their power and influence and wealth is going to fade. It's going to happen. But God will also be merciful to us. Because if he renders to us according to our works, well, we've just learned that our greatest and best works are like dew. They're over very, very quickly. We have nothing left. And so that leaves us totally dependent on God for rescue and for meaning and purpose. And all of these truths are addressed to God, which suggests to me that the speaker is asking God for his help. He is acknowledging his dependence on God. He's seeking for God to come into his life and to grant him stability, purpose mercy. This brings us to the end of the psalm. As an application, I think it's worth considering, are you, am I, putting your trust in the things of this world, which fade? Are you expecting, am I expecting, these things to give lasting joy and purpose and meaning? And I think we as Christians can very quickly answer that, no, I know God is, um, you know, God is eternal and that the things of this world uh, don't satisfy. But it, again, it's really easy to slip into thinking that the things of this world matter a lot more than they, than they do and putting stock in them. And so let's take this psalm as a moment to recenter ourselves in God. Before I, I close off this episode, I do have a couple of announcements. Um, I am going to be switching to every other week or every three weeks to produce this psalm. 
It's not super time consuming, but enough so that I'm going to have trouble doing it every single week uh, while I'm actually teaching English classes uh, when the fall semester starts here in August. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that I'm going to be um, switching my RSS feed off SoundCloud and onto a different provider, not yet determined. Um, while I do this, it's going to be a, a couple of weeks before another episode comes out, so that way I can focus on getting the, the feed over correctly. And so be patient with me. I'm going to switch the feed, and then once it's fully switched and we're working again, um, I'll have another, another episode up. Um, until then, make sure you listen to old episodes if you haven't listened to those and you're just joining us now. Tell a friend about this podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, the subscription will not go away when I switch the feed. You'll still be getting new new episodes. Um, yeah, leave us a review. Any of these helps um, the show keep going, helps other people find the show. I'm so glad you decided to join us today, and be sure to check back later for another episode of An English Prof Reads the Bible.